Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. He's at home in Connecticut. I'm in a hotel in New York City, as you can see if you're watching on YouTube. And if you are indeed watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. It's right in front of you. It costs you nothing, but uh, it helps us. So knock that out while you're here. And while you're here, Also, please go ahead and uh, hit the subscribe button, too, if you haven't already done that. It matters. So please help us with that. We thank you in advance. Dead leg. Let's get right to it. Big one. Tuesday night inside Bob Walton Arena. Final score, Arkansas 80, number one Auburn 76 in overtime. Before we get to the game and what it means for the Razorbacks, what it means for the Tigers. Do you want to take back your Bud Walton slander from Sunday night's podcast? You asked me with a straight face. You asked me with a straight yeah. face. You, you said, which place going to be more hype on Tuesday yeah. night? Bud Walton or Mackey? And I told you Bud Walton. Just like that. You express yeah. skept- you express skepticism. Yeah. So you're, free, you're free to walk it back right now for our <laughs> friends in the natural state if you want to. No, Not a shot. Did you see what happened at Mackey, too? Did you see what yeah. Brad Underwood said after Purdue absolutely walloped Illinois? Well, you can't. I, I don't. I can only hear what people say. I can't see it. Did I say? Did I say? Did you see what? Brad, oh, I, I saw it on the graphic. That's why. Well, it actually no. t- technically, I guess you could see what somebody you could, said. You could see it. I'm not walking it back. Bud Walton was awesome. Put out that poll. Mackey Arena won two to one. By the way, against Bud Walton Arena. Mackey Arena is just a better spot. I don't know what to tell you. Arkansas fans, you're phenomenal. That was let an me, incredible environment. But let me, you're, you're not taking something into consideration that we talked about multiple times on the podcast. I, I saw that Mackey Arena won the poll, but a lot of the anti-Purdue votes would come from Indiana fans in the state of Indiana, and as you know, their internet's out. How's that Arkansas internet working out for you right now? Oh, boy, it's strong. Yeah, it's strong. Although I will tell you, uh, Bart Pullman, who's a, a been a, a media member in the uh, state of Arkansas for a long time. I, I used to go on his show all the time. And he pointed out um, last night that I used to come on for years and say, this is a sleeping giant. This Arkansas basketball program. When I was just a little child growing up on the other side of the mighty Mississippi I can remember Arkansas being one of the biggest and baddest basketball programs in the entire country. And when they got a good team, that is one of the places in the SEC where people truly care and want to care. You just got to find the right guy to get it back to that point. And it appears that guy is Eric Musselman. I'd forgotten I'd said that a million times. But uh, I appreciate Bart pointing it out to the Arkansas fans because that, that, that distracted them from the fact that I did not have them ranked throughout this eight-game winning streak, which, by the way, I, I don't if, – if you're looking at an entire body of work, you should not have had Arkansas rank um, prior to last night. Uh, but, you know, when you're doing what they're doing now, nine straight wins, 
Um, they've now got multiple quadrant one wins and they've got this massive victory over Auburn. I have moved the Razorbacks into the top 25 and one. Speaking of body of work. Woo! Look at Muss. Look at Muss. Obviously, anyone listening can't see this, but go ahead and find that tweet on there. Muss is he's shirtless with his arm in a sling. So got off the floor. Shirt came off. Just simply incredible. He oh, he wound up doing the post game on ESPN two in the vomitorium. Got clear of that court storm. I I didn't. I was watching like a lot of stuff uh, at once, and I was doing some radio, so I did not see. A, I think Katie Johnson of Auburn might have gotten caught up a little bit in that court storm. I'm glad it didn't seem like it went off without any kind of incident there, uh, and that's a good thing. But yes, clearly to circle back to this top of your question, um, an incredible environment, Bud Walton Arena holding close to 20K. Great to see that. Uh, I actually did watch for about like 10 minutes on uh, earlier on Tuesday or Monday. I watched the YouTube video of when number two Auburn went into Arkansas and lost to the Hogs back in 1999. And that was a fun nostalgic trip uh, down memory lane there. Just, you know, uh, the old snout, as you preferred it, by the way, the sloppy hog. Not, the not that... Not that uh, that bitterly angry thing they got going on in the middle of the court these days. The sloppy hog, the slobber, the slobber hog. Um, but yeah, you can you can see the box score. You can see the stats here from CBS, courtesy of Nada on the stream. And the win um, obviously puts a little bit of of chaos into the SEC standings. Um, Auburn still leads the conference at ten and one. Kentucky is now nine and two. And Arkansas, oh by the way, sitting there at eight and three. So Razorback fans, you know in the throes of this morning, uh, I think still have some hope that maybe, maybe just maybe we can pull off a way to finish top of the league standings. We'll see if they get there. Uh, that win against Auburn, by the way, for Arkansas is the only time similar how to Auburn only has to face Kentucky once only has to face Arkansas. Once we'll not get the Razorbacks back on the planes there, nine consecutive wins. Um, I haven't done the math, but I got to figure with this kind of resume at this point, Arkansas is looking like a six seed, 19 and five overall, maybe even a five seed. They're, now their their uh, their wins early in the season, as you point out from a resume perspective, weren't weren't that worthy. Probably yeah, I'd probably go five seed. I'm blindly looking at it here for Auburn. Um, real quick, and then you take it away uh, again. Like you know, Wendell Green Jr. is a fun player, but his shot uh, near the end of that game was was horrendous and. Jabari Smith, although he did get off 16 attempts on Tuesday night, which was more than I think the eight or nine he had against Georgia. And Smith had a, a big three that kind of cut the deficit and, and made the game still in doubt late. Uh, I still want him to get more touches. I, it's still it's still kind of bizarre to me. Uh, now, they have a lot of guys who can score and play make. I, I get all that. Wendell Green Jr., Katie Johnson, Alan Flanagan was a significant piece on last year's team, and he's still getting um He's still getting worked into this. He started in the game last night, but I just, I, I just can't help but wonder if, if Auburn and Bruce Pearl's got to know this, but like, if it's going to be this final four national championship team, like it's got, it's got to have a little more alpha from Jabari uh, more consistently late. And I don't know if that's the exact reason why they didn't pull it out. Cause again, Jabari had 20 points. It's not like he was, he was lacking, but I just thought there were moments possessions late in that game where they should have looked to find him more than relying unnecessarily on, uh, on Johnson or green. How about the final possession of regulation? Like, you know, shot clock's off. Um, you're in a tie game. Um, look, I don't mind Wendell Green taking the final shot. I hated that shot. I mean, it, he got their their last four field goals in regulation. Like, four field goals, final four minutes. Um, and three of those baskets came on layups. He was getting to the rim. 
And then he didn't even attempt to get it. He just pulled like from the snout. He wanted to win it from the snout, which I understand on a on a on a basic human level, it would have been an incredible highlight. But the problem, of course, is he's a thirty three percent three point shooter. <laughs> Why are you pulling from the snout with the game on the line? Now, I I do think we were in one of those situations where, um, if he would have tried to get to the rim again. He would have he would have had to score like they were not going to blow the whistle and call a foul in in that moment or at least um you go it was going to have to be a clear cut I can't not call this foul foul um so like whatever but the shot was horrendous like if that were Steph Curry or the woman who plays at Iowa I'm fine with it but it can't window green pulling from the snout at the buzzer is, and Caitlin Clark that's for sure is outrageous um. I'm with you on Jabari. Like he did get, you know, 16 shots, but and ended up with 20 points. So if you didn't watch the game, it like looks okay. Well, he got 16 shots, got 20 points. Wasn't the most efficient player on the court, but you know, it's a you know, got 20 points on 16 shots. But you know, he had a couple of big shots late that got the point total up there. Uh, I didn't think I'm with you. I didn't think he was prioritized enough. Uh, in the final minutes of regulation. And, you know, when you are operating with somebody who might be the number one pick in the draft, and I love on the, uh, um, you know, when, when you're operating with somebody who might be the number one pick in the draft, like, you you, you, you know, you got to do something to get him a little, uh, a, a little more involved. Um after the game, one of the first things Musk said on the postgame interview is that, you know, Auburn was dancing on yeah. the Razorback. Yeah, so, you know. In, for, in fairness to Auburn, if you decide you want to dance, kind of hard not to dance on the Razorback. It's so big, you know? Yeah. I, it takes yeah. up a lot of space. This like, seems it, to be a, yeah, this seems to be something that's increasing in frequency across American sports, though. That's, I, this has happened a couple times in college football. Chat's gonna remember it off because there's more people that I can't remember. But there was a there was a deal with some sort of team that they like the other team was on the logo before the game. Like, and I, this happened, I think, in hoops earlier this season as well. Um, this idea that we're taking great offense to people walking—you're literally stepping over this damn thing for 40 minutes of an entire game. I understand <laughs> there's a slight difference if maybe you're doing a little bit of celebrating before the competition has begun, but this can't—this—we cannot continue with this. This idea that they're like they were standing on our logo before the game—we had to do something about it. Get over it. Well, get out of here with that. Well, I think that the it wasn't just standing because, like, you know, you're warming up. You're gonna—you're gonna put your foot on the on the. A Razorback. It's, you can desecrate that logo. If, if we're talking uh, Hoggy from from '99, then we got a problem. But not this one. Come on. So here's the problem with this taking great offense to people dancing on your logo, is that your logo takes up half the court. It's gigantic. Beyond that, um, you've been to a basketball game and got courtside early. There's music blaring. True. And some people's natural instinct is to dance a little bit. So were they actually, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have eyeballs on this. I'm sitting in a studio in New York, but were they actually dancing on the logo to be offensive, (laughs) to try to agitate you? Or were they just bouncing around pregame and happen to be dancing? And if you paused it and said, Hey, look down. It's like, Oh wow. I'm on the logo. Like how big of a deal is that? I don't know. On the other hand, whatever you got to, 
do to get motivated? I guess do to, you know, do it. It, it seemed to work out. Arkansas gets the win. So back to the uh, Razorbacks resume, because there was a lot of this over the past week from Arkansas fans. Like, why are we not ranked? We've won eight in a row and, and all that stuff. And like, if you wanted to, this is where how your approach to ranking teams is, you know, the, it's very subjective. You can do it a variety of ways. Sometimes you can do it without even like caring who wins or loses games. Um, if you just wanted to say they're hot, who's the hottest teams in the country right now, then you Arkansas could be wherever you wanted to put them. They had, you know, won eight straight games. But even after last night's win, they're still just two and three in quadrant one, six and oh in quadrant two. So eight and three in the first three, uh, two quadrants with two quadrant three losses. Like, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think there's anybody else that I have ranked in the top 25 one with two quadrant three losses. Like, that's an abnormally high number, even at two, uh, for a team that is, you know, ranked in the top 25 or for my purposes, top 25 and one. So before last night, they had one quadrant one win and two quadrant three losses. Um, I don't believe there was a single computer or there certainly weren't many that would have had them in the quote unquote top 25. So I, I still don't think it was uh, crazy to not have Arkansas ranked prior to last night's win, but after last night's win nine in a row and a win over an Auburn team that had won 19 straight, um, then obviously I'll get you into the top 25 and one should be noted. Auburn uh, was without its point guard. Zepp Jasper, um, he, he didn't even make the trip to Fayetteville uh, because of a non-COVID illness. And it should also be noted that it's not all bad for Auburn. Like, some perspective does matter. They went into a hostile environment. I mean, must have after the game. There won't be a crowd better than this in the next 50 years. Um, it was wild. And they played a good team, and they traded punches, and they had a chance to, to win the game, obviously. They're still 22-2 and two overall. They've got an SEC best 10-1 and one record in league games. That's a great 24-game body of work. They're 12-2 and two in the first two quadrants. Um, still have zero losses in regulation. 19-1 in the past 20 games. Uh, and, yes, I did move Gonzaga to number one in the top 25-1 and one on Wednesday morning because now these are both two-loss teams, and the Zags – don't have the 12 and two record in the first two quadrants that Auburn has doesn't have the seven quadrant one wins that Auburn has, but some of that's just league affiliation at this point, they don't have the same opportunities and they are beating everybody's brains in right now. Like Gonzaga is a full six points better than everybody else in the country. When it comes to adjusted efficiency margin, according to Ken Palm, so I have moved Gonzaga to number one in the top 25 and one, but Auburn, I moved them down to two. And if the AP voters on Monday, assuming Auburn wins this weekend and Gonzaga also wins um, as it has been doing, um, it, it, you could actually make a case if you're just ranking on resume that Auburn still has the best resume in the country. But I think most people are going to move Gonzaga to number one. That's fine. That's what I did. But you really should not move Auburn any lower than number two. Cool. What else we got? Well, um, before we get to other interesting developments from Tuesday night, because there were a few, I do want to back up to Monday night because uh, there was a buzzer beater in Cameron Indoor. Deadleg was on to something on Sunday's podcast. We'll do that next. But first, a word 
from our sponsors. We're here. Let's go save some lives. Wow. Is that safe? This isn't an easy mission, and there may be a few surprises. Come on. Is this where I get to say I was born ready? I'm going to figure this thing out, whatever it takes. It's going to be close. We do our best work when it's close. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So before we get to other interesting developments from Tuesday night, I do want to back up to Monday night um, because Deadleg, uh, you sort of had this one on your radar. You suggested on Sunday's podcast that Virginia would be competitive at Duke, despite being an 11-point underdog, I was dismissive of your prediction. And then Virginia went and won at Duke 69-68 on a Reese Beekman three at the buzzer. What did you know that I didn't know? I was wrong. Huh. Just had that sense, man. How about that? How about that game? Man, Virginia. I, I, I did think that coming two days off of the Carolina – listen, I was effectively guessing, but whatever. Like two days off of the Carolina game – Obviously, hugely emotional. Mike Krzyzewski alluded to this after the loss. He said something along the lines of, uh, we have to stay hungry even after we've eaten or whatever. Um, and he was basically saying, you know, Carolina is obviously a huge, huge game that takes a, Ter- a terrible diet plan, by the way. Uh, well, <laughs> that's an awful approach to dieting. Uh, yeah, but uh, applied. <laughs> applied as a metaphor to trying to win basketball games. I can understand what he was saying there. You're. 48 hours removed from a road game at Carolina that just takes up so much of your inventory emotionally and spiritually. You got to turn around and, and on two days and play Virginia, which hasn't been good this year, but it has one of the best coaches in the sport and you weren't ready. Uh, Reese Beekman, big time player all around, just in, in terms of uh, his defense, his shooting capability. Now we talked about Jabari Smith, uh, you can see the box here uh, on the stream. We talked about what Jabari Smith, Paulo Bancaro disappeared down the stretch of this game and AJ Griffin only played 24 minutes. He wasn't even a factor. He had a complete 180 from the AJ Griffin. We had seen in the previous three games. So my quick thoughts on Duke are losses like that like home losses to Miami and Virginia. Now uh, ACC is not that good. Duke has a very narrow window to get a number one seat at this point. Uh, it can probably maybe afford to lose one more game. And then otherwise it's going to have no shot at the number one seed. This stuff adds up overall uh, kind of stunning to see Ben Curry be that much of a non-factor for a lot of the second half, but I will give credit to Virginia, which had, had a wonderful game plan and then made a second three pointer in the closing seconds. Um, 
I heard on PTI on Tuesday as I was making dinner for my kids, I heard Tony Kornheiser say when they were talking about this game, this was they didn't he didn't give me the two other instances, but I know one of them is Stephen F. Austin. He said that Virginia winning in the final two seconds at Cameron marked only the third time in 25 years that a team won at Cameron uh, in the final two seconds. Uh, one was Stephen F. Austin, one was Virginia. I don't know who the third one is, though. I tried to research it. And I don't know who that uh, who that would have been. I'm not there with Virginia being a bubble team just yet. They're not. They're not there. But, but, but they're not close. Here's what. Here's their. Well, I got their numbers. Do you want to? Do you want to read them off? Because I got them. I got them in front of me. Knock, knock yourself out. Okay. So they're 81st in the net. Their best team sheet ranking right now is 58 in BPI, but everything else is in the 70s. Uh, what is it? 50. Well, it's technically 57 in Sagarin, but uh, two quad one wins. Quad one, quad two combined is six and six. Respectable enough. This team has three. It's it not only does it have three quad three losses, it is sub 500 in quad three. So you're right. Uh, I don't think Virginia is close at this point. If we want to define close as take the cut line and then, you know, first four out, next four out, then you get to Virginia, in my opinion, at this point. They're too far down, but it's a it's a big time win. And Virginia's been able to uh, to peel off some victories here to at least, you know, bring some, you know, Bring some signs of life to its season. 76 in Ken Palm, three in a row. Next will be home against Georgia Tech, then at Virginia Tech. You get to 17 and 9, 11 and 5 in a down ACC. Then we can maybe have a little bit of a chat here. But, um, but yeah, Tony Bennett, final time playing K and Cameron. He gets the W there and, uh, and going to Cavaliers. Um, Duke is Duke's still good, has four losses. Lost to Ohio State by five, Miami by two. Florida State by one, Virginia by one. Four losses, combined nine points. Interesting team. I think it's window. It's room for error for any more defeats and still to be on the one line is very narrow at this point. Well, here's another problem for them. So they, now they've got the one quadrant, three loss, a home loss to Virginia. Um, Virginia is, you know, uh, 80th, 81st in the net. So there's a chance Virginia gets inside the top 75 and that turns into um, a, a quadrant two loss but the other issue is Miami is like 72nd 73rd in the net so if Virginia stays outside the top 75 and Miami slips to 76 or lower which is obviously very possible well now you've got a resume with two quadrant three losses Uh, again as somebody who looks at this stuff every day most of the best teams in the country have zero quadrant three losses um a few have one Arkansas has two, which I told you was the main reason they weren't getting yeah. ranked. Bama Duke, also has two. Yeah, ba- yeah, Bama's all over the place. But like most of the best, like you start going through um, the teams that are considered the best in the country. Gonzaga obviously has zero. Houston has zero. Arizona has zero. We're talking quadrant three losses. Um, Kentucky, zero. Purdue, zero. Villanova, zero. Auburn, zero. Kansas, zero. Baylor, zero. Texas Tech, zero. Tennessee, zero. Illinois, zero. Um, Texas, zero. Ohio State, zero. UConn, zero. Wisconsin, zero. St. Mary, zero. Iowa, zero. No, I got, I'm going to go 358. I'm going to go through the same right, Here we go. Let's go. All right. All yeah, right. just, just uh, sit tight for a second. Michigan State, zero. I'm going to Providence, zero. Loyola, Chicago, zero. And then you've got, you know, a handful of teams with one. UCLA has one. LSU has one. And Duke has got one and is on the verge of two. 
I hope that illustrated just how uncommon it is for a team the caliber of Duke to have these types of losses in the loss column. If not, I can keep going. Can you uh, can you say zero again? Zero. There we go. <laughs> we you go. ready for this? You ready for this? Yeah. yeah. San Diego State, zero. TCU, zero. Give me another. Kansas State, zero. West Virginia, they lose every time they play. Zero quad to three losses. Uh, although they did beat Iowa State on Tuesday night. night. Yeah. Um, oh no. Now we're now we're getting to the point where Ohio Bobcats. Zero. Duke's on the verge of having two quad to three losses. Ohio has zero. Well, I'll tell you this. Obviously, if Duke gets if Duke, if the if the net Minnesota breaks, zero. All right, all right. If the if the net breaks Wagner, to the point where, oh Wagner zero. Wagner this, longest win streak in the country because Auburn lost. By the way, thirteen in a row. Shouts Louisiana Tech zero. Maryland's got three. That's tough. That's a problem right there. No, Duke, one, is, no, no wonder has, Mark Turgeon quit. If, if Duke doesn't have another uh, bad loss and just Miami and Virginia wind up being Q3 losses, uh, it's not going to be able to over, overcome that and get a one seed. And the, two quad three losses for a one seed, I just I don't see that being a thing. I don't see that uh, I don't see that happening. But, hey, we got a little bit of drama, a little bit of spice in the, uh, in the ACC. Anything else from Monday you want to get to? Montana. Okay. Zero quadrant three wins, but three quadrant three losses. That's tough. That's a problem for Montana's at large hopes. That is a problem. Yeah, that's that's no uh that's not uh, the only the only other thing for Monday, uh Texas uh, beat Kansas and mm-hmm. moved into the top fifteen at Ken Palm. Uh, you know, uh it, it looks like Chris Beard is starting to get that thing together. You know, obviously he tried to overhaul the Texas roster. Not tried, he did, uh via the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, they went through a little bit of a bumpy stretch in January, I guess. But now um, they're they're playing well consistently. Um, It's a team that has won five of its past six. And the only loss in that stretch is that wild game at Texas Tech. In that stretch, they've now beaten Tennessee, Iowa State, Kansas. And like I said, uh, up to 14th at Kenpom. It looks like the Longhorns are uh, uh, rounding into something closer to what we thought. Most of us thought they'd be in the preseason. Yeah, big shot by Timmy Allen. He had a really nice game, 24 points in that one. Uh, Courtney Ramey really stepped up on the defensive end, and Texas played itself a nice game. No Remy Martin again for Kansas, and I think some of the point guard concerns that Bill Self has expressed uh, about earlier in the season uh, showed up to a certain point there. Uh, Juwan Harris, who does so much, so many good things on the defensive side of the ball, you know, to, to ask him to be your, to lead your lead point guard for the remainder of the season. Um, he just, you know, it's going to be a little bit by committee here. They need Remy Martin back to, uh, to kind of add some more. Cause like Joseph Yosefu, who's come over from Drake has not been, I think what they expected him to be. Ochai Abaji plays better off the ball. Yes. He can obviously handle it. Christian Brown can do that if you need him to. Um, but, no shame in the loss. I mean, KU's 19 and four. How many quad three losses for Kansas, by the way? Zero. Yeah, there we go. Um, also, by the way. Yeah. Missouri. Zero. Okay. That's actually surprising. Go. It is. I am. I'm <laughs> a little surprised by that. Um, 
Yeah, big big win for Texas. Uh, I, you know, it happened a couple nights ago, so we're a little bit removed from it. But we had to mention it. That's that's a, a real resume builder at eighteen and six and seven and four in the league. Uh, Chris Beard was able to uh, to get a nice win, uh, get two in a row after you know just throttling Iowa State. That game got a little bit lost in the mix on Saturday because there were a lot of other high profile games, and that game was on the Longhorn Network, so almost nobody saw it. So now Texas has won. Five of its past six, the lone loss, of course, being the Texas Tech uh, defeat from eight days ago. But yeah, uh, just quality win for for the Longhorns. Chris Beard's doing a good job in the big picture. No, this team has not um, played up to expect. No, no fault of its own, really. I mean, it's, I guess some of its fault it lost the games, but I didn't think Texas was a preseason top five team. Some others might have thought that, but uh, still a quality team and will have a chance at uh, at showing themselves well in the NCAA tournament. Big 12 is a really, really good league. And the loss... For Kansas now means that the Jayhawks have a one-game lead in the loss column on Baylor and Tech, which are seven and three teams. KU is eight and two in the Big Twelve. Uh, on to Tuesday, which is just jam-packed every week. Now uh, we were in the studio last night. Adam Zucker described Tuesday as Baby Saturday. It really has mm. become the busiest day of the week for college basketball, um, other than Saturday. And I don't know if it's always been that way. Has it always been that way? No, it's been that way this season to an extent because like you had Pac-12 and WCC makeup games on Tuesday and that uh, those those West Coast leagues never played on Tuesdays and Mondays normally. So that has been part of it. But yeah, Tuesday's pretty packed. Wednesday uh, traditionally is the most populated non-Saturday day, but Tuesday's been a lot of fun and yeah, last night was just one after another after another. A lot of uh, a lot of stuff to kind of keep track on deep into the night with uh with the WCC and UCLA stuff. Ooh, boy, don't talk to me about deep into the night. When you got to wait till one twenty to do a C block for inside college basketball, mm, you had to talk on TV. I had to write a Sean White column. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All don't I had to, to all I had to do was a Santa Clara highlight and call it a night. So I was. I fine. had to make sure Sean White's uh, competitive snowboarding career wasn't over at like one fifteen in the morning. So, all right, okay. I'll stop complaining. I'll okay. stop complaining. Purdue beat Illinois by 16 on Tuesday night. So there is, this is weird. This is a weird thing that's happening. Internet, alive and well in West Lafayette, but wildly um, unreliable uh, throughout the rest of Indiana because Indiana suspended five players on Tuesday and mm. then lost to Northwestern. Johnny Davis got 25 points. Wisconsin won inside the Breslin Center. Adama Sonogo finished with 24 and 15. UConn beat Marquette. And as I mentioned, Santa Clara upset St. Mary's. Yeah. Pushed St. Mary's down to 26 in Wednesday morning's updated top 25 and one. And for Santa Clara, mm -hmm. they were 0 and 43 in their previous 43 games against ranked teams. Now 1 and 43 in the past 44. Shouts to Herb Sindek. Shouts to Herb Sendick. Got a, I got a lot. That team's good, by the way. It is. No, Santa Clara is a good team. And they had some buzz earlier in the season because they started off. They were 5-0, 6-0. Has been a, has rated as a top 100 uh, Ken Palm team since basically the week before Christmas. I remember they beat TCU and Stanford. So they made some noise. Then they took on some losses. Now, they also got to really be on the weeds on this. But they they had a couple of their better players out for uh for a few games and so that wound up being a significant factor in why they weren't able to kind of keep winning and now now they're a real they're a real team in the wcc so let's talk, let's just let's train in on the wccc for a minute for, for a second because yes santa clara holds serve at home st mary's takes the loss 
Uh, Parrish. I don't have the net up in front of me. Hold on, I'm going to look at this real quick. Was that a Q2 or Q1 for uh, Santa Clara? Same areas as on the road. That's a oh, Q1. Of course Q1. it is. Yeah, first quadrant one uh, win of the season for Santa Clara. Um, they do have three quadrant three losses, so that bangs up your at-large resume pretty and, bad. Oh, yeah, they, they're not an at-large team. They would need to uh, – They they I think they literally would need to win out to the WCC title game, and maybe they'd have an interesting conversation if we got to that point. But St. Mary's takes a loss, quad one, so they're still okay. San Francisco loses to Portland at home. That is a quad four Ooh. loss. Ooh. San Francisco was at one point 10 and 0, then 13 and 1. It's now 19 and 6, 6 and 4 in the WCC. These are, it, it was a back to back. So USF won on Saturday by three at Portland, comes back, three day turnaround, makeup game, loses by one. It was, it should have been, uh, it was by one. It was a four point deficit, and there was a half court shot that, that sank to give it to, to give it the final margin there. Uh, the Dons are not out of it, but. This is problematic. They still have to play at Santa Clara, at at Pacific, which, oh, by the way, has defeated BYU and almost beat USC on Tuesday night. Suddenly, Pacific's one of the 30 best teams in the country. Had no idea. Leonard Perry's doing a nice job, but USF still got to go on the road to play Pacific. They have to play at St. Mary's. They have to host Gonzaga. I hate to say it because Todd Golden's a really good young coach, but it it's feeling like the Dons will need to probably like steal the auto bit out of the WCC. I just don't see a scenario in which they've got six games remaining. Four of them are on the road. You're going to need to win at least four of those games in any kind of order. Like you're going to have to at least you're going to have to steal one against St. Mary's on the road or beat Gonzaga at home to keep the at-large resume alive. So this, uh, and this, this is the problem with the WCC, by the way, the problem taking any job in that league First off, the Gonzaga job never opens. The St. Mary's job never opens. Really, any other job in that league other than BYU? Which is leaving, yes. Yeah. It's like, what do you do? It's very difficult to build an at-large resume playing a WCC schedule. And you can't get the at-large because of Gonzaga. So what are you supposed to do? Like, at least in another league like the WCC, there's not some monster in there. Like, um, I don't know. Like, let's, let's say you're in the... Uh, I don't I'll, let me pick a conference here. I'll pick whatever's right. The Atlantic 10, which is right below right. Um, the West Coast Conference, uh, according to Ken Pop. So let's say you're in the Atlantic 10 and it's hard to build an at-large resume in the Atlantic 10. But at least you go to the tournament and you're like, well, who who can we not beat? I mean, Davidson might be the best, but like we could play with them. Maybe, you know, if you're Dayton or VCU, you're like, OK, we can we can maybe play with them. We can win this tournament. And get the at large and get the automatic bid. But if you're any of these teams going into the West Coast Conference tournament, there is no hope for you. It's a tough deal. Tough deal. I would say so. San Francisco. Like, like, it'd be like if you're in the Missouri Valley Conference with Duke. It's it's a real it's it, it's pretty much what it is. San Francisco's 41st in the net. It's 30th in KPI, but everything else is you know anywhere between 44 and. 58 right now it will need it will need to either win at st mary's or beacon zag at home and then it can't lose to pepperdine can't lose at pacific can't lose at san diego uh we'll see dons are a good team but they are now in a tight spot that that loss was problematic uh in a major way and they played a really close good game back when they rescheduled against loyola chicago 
the Ramblers won that one. So uh, a noisy night out out west. Uh, to the games you mentioned, let's just let's go to the other big game from from Tuesday. But I do want to hit on everything you talked about. Purdue Wallops Illinois. Mackey was on fire. Just an incredible watch. A couple of huge takeaways from this game. One is. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Jade and Ivy, uh, there are, I'm not saying I'm, I'm want to be clear about this. I am not saying I would take Jade and Ivy first in the NBA draft, but there are sometimes stretches when I watch this guy play and I'm like, he is an NBA player playing at the college level. He took over that game, man. There was nothing Illinois could do to stop him. It was a phenomenal performance, one of the better second-half performances of any player I've seen. And I'm all, I'm like all aboard the Jaden Ivey top five NBA pick at this point. I don't know if I can be talked off of it. In fact, if he truly commits to wanting to be an above-average defender and wants it on that end of the floor, man, sky's the limit for this dude. Purdue was phenomenal. I, I think everybody is on the Jaden Ivey as a top five pick though everybody i don't know if i i, I have I, I, I think i think everybody's basically jabari smith paulo bencaro chet holmgren in some order um Jaden ivy and then now we start talking maybe johnny davis after that how about the big 10 maybe having the top two guards in the country from from a product production standpoint in college and from an nba projection tell me the last time the big 10 genuinely curious last time the big 10 had the top two nba guard prospects in college basketball I don't know. Ivy was fantastic, though. And Purdue, when I watched this game, I, I thought to myself, I'm going to, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the next month, but it is going to be really hard for me not to put this team minimally into the final four. I know the defense, yeah, yeah, whatever. This team is so good on offense and has so many different ways to kill you. I, I, they, I think they are more than happy to just roll out the ball and just sprint with anyone that wants to sprint with them and say, beat us. Try and, try and beat us to 80. Try and beat us to 85. Try and beat us to 90. Last night, Ivy was the best player, but Eric Hunter was was terrific uh, with what he was able to do on, on both ends of the floor. Caleb first uh, had a big bucket at one point. Zach Eady goes for another. A ho-hum, oh, by the way, 13. What do you want from me? Um, man, I just... Stefanovic like will, will go three or four games and he's just kind of there. And then you know that he's he's liable to go four for seven from three on any given night. You know, Travion Williams played 15 minutes last night and Purdue won the game with these. I'm still in on Illinois. I thought the game would be closer. Thankfully, Trent Frazier's not seriously injured. He he banged knees with Ivy on a screen and uh, he was up and moving around shortly thereafter. So, that, so that's a good thing. Alfonso Plummer, still one of the best shooters in the country. Um, Coburn at 18 and, you know, they were able to neutralize some of that. Curbella still didn't start again. 
going back to my piece with uh, on Illinois when I talked with Brad Underwood, he's still got to be worked back in. Like, Corbella played 21 minutes. Underwood told me he's not going to be able to go, like, hard 30, 35 minutes in a game until at least March. He's just not in that kind of condition. We're going to get him there. He's running more than anyone else in practice. Like, he's trying to get there, but you just still don't have Corbella at full strength. You go into that building, it's on fire. Good on Purdue, man. Just that I can't get off this team. They're too awesome on offense. They're too fun. I will not be surprised if someone takes them out and say the elite eight. I think I would be surprised if they go down before that, though. I think they're that good on offense and have that many options that uh, even though defensively there can be issues, they practically let Curbelo waltz to a, to a layup to close the first half. Um, too much. Too much on O. Do you agree? I agree that they're awesome offensively. I am concerned about the defensive end of the court because – as we've talked about for years now, um, no matter how aesthetically pleasing something is, um, uh, how visually pleasing something is, uh, teams that guard this way don't usually get where they want to get to. And um, Iowa last season was a great example. Amazing offensively. And then they get into – let me double check before I say something incorrect – they get to the second round of the NCAA tournament and they just get destroyed. Like Oregon scores 95 on them and, and, and beats them by, by 15 points. Um, I, I'm not predicting that for Purdue, by the way. Um, I, I do think I, I could easily see them. I, I will have them in my elite eight minimum as well. I, I think yeah. just because they, they've got everything you want experience, NBA talent, great coach, awesome offense, but that defense is a real problem, and that that is what concerns me. If you're trying to get uh, to the Final Four for the first time since 1980, um, you know, you, you defenses like that make it more difficult than it should be based on all the other stuff that's in place. But I saw our friend Seth Davis tweet this last night um, about how he's openly rooting for Purdue to get to the Final Four, and I think if you're a college basketball fan, like you've got your favorite team. Sure. But if you're just an observer of the sport beyond that, as long as you're not an Indiana fan, I guess, um, I don't, I, I totally am on board with wanting to see Purdue get there. Um, they've got a transcendent star in Jaden Ivy. They've got, you know, one of the best coaches in the country who is on the list of best coaches never to get to a final four yet. Um, who's also like everybody likes Matt Painter. Like he's, he's funny. He's awesome at his job. He's easy to talk to. Um, everybody likes that. I don't, I've never heard anybody say a bad word about Matt Painter. Um, it, the, the fans are awesome. I, I you know, I, I, from a, a from a, a selfish perspective, like I want Duke in the final four. Cause I think it would be awesome to have Mike Krzyzewski in his final year in new Orleans with a chance to win another national title. Like, I just think that's the biggest storyline you could get. Um, outside of that, uh, oh, I'd love to see Gonzaga there because I want to see the Zags have another chance to win a national title. Um, but like Purdue is on the list of teams that I would like to see get there for all the reasons I just noted. Going back to what we talked about Sunday with so many interesting uh, national title contenders. Uh, there's a lot of fascinating personnel, player versus player, coach versus coach, and team versus team, program versus program matchups in the Elite Eight or the final four. I love chaos in the bracket. This might be one of those years where I, you know, I love seeing the really good teams too. Obviously that's, that's best for the sport in many ways, but um, 
having an elite eight with nothing but either ones, twos, or threes might be the best thing because of how many different kinds of teams, different kinds of stars we have. Sticking in the Big Ten, Wisconsin, 70 to 62 at Breslin. We now have a three way tie atop the standings uh, 10 and three for Purdue. Illinois and Wisconsin. Ohio State also has three losses, so it's tied in the loss column. Ohio's just it's just played three fewer games to this point. Um, I saw Bart Torvik note uh, noted Wisconsin homer. By the way, I know you listen to this podcast, Bart. He said that Wisconsin actually has the uh, the thirteenth easiest remaining schedule in the Big Ten. So it's not inconceivable that Wisconsin actually winds up not just finishing atop the ledger. But maybe he does it in standalone fashion. Wisconsin's the number one uh, seed in the Big Ten tournament. That'd be kind of something there. Now, they've got a player of the year candidate and a potential top 10 pick in Johnny Davis. But, yeah, here's Wisconsin's schedule. Home to Rutgers, at IU, home to Michigan, at Minnesota, spiraling, at Rutgers, home to Purdue, home to Nebraska. Very, very workable schedule there for the Badgers. Good win on the road. Johnny Davis had 25 points. Tyler Wall, Chucky Hepburn each had 11 Um Michigan State just remains enigmatic. You know, I don't I, it's it's not getting anything near to what it hoped to uh, with Tyson Walker, who was one of the more hyped transfers in the offseason. It usually happens. There just happens to be a couple of guys that are considered top five, top 10, top 15 worthy in terms of transfers. And then you really look up in February. They haven't been remotely close to that. Um, that's kind of been the case with Michigan and Devontae Jones and Michigan State with Tyson Walker there. Um, Max Christie's still coming along, but he's freshman. He's inconsistent. And Michigan State just does not have it this year as far as I'm concerned. They need Malik Hall to be better. I would even put Malik Hall in the starting lineup. Izzo has his own reasons for not doing that, and I'll trust him on that. He knows way more about this than I do. But uh, the story there in the Big Ten as well, Wisconsin getting a road win, keeping pace atop the league ledger, and Johnny Davis still uh, keeping his name firmly in the mix for National Player of the Year. I still think I'd go Oscar Shibway in the moment. Kentucky won at South Carolina. but. Uh, but Davis, with that kind of performance, yeah, he still stays in the mix. And, uh, and a good win for Wisconsin, which uh, has been among the more surprising teams' big picture this season. They've been relevant since they won Maui. But remember, heading in, this was not a group that was expected to be top 25 level, one of the three or four best teams in the Big Ten with that roster. And they continue to prove everyone wrong, and they're going to be a comfortable seed once we get to Selection Sunday. Yeah, the one Tuesday night game that I, I don't think we touched on other than to acknowledge that it happened that I, I did think was notable was UConn um, knocking out Marquette in the dribble handoff on Tuesday where we come up with a question and then me, you, uh, David Cobb, and, and um, uh, often Kyle Boone as well uh, will answer that question. This question was take a team outside of the top 15 in the current AP poll that you could envision going to the Final Four. And I went with UConn. And as I explained, um, when you're looking for somebody who could be an unlikely Final Four participant, um, you know, take a guess and get lucky is one way to do it, I guess. But beyond that, you know, find somebody that's um, beaten a great team, that's shown they can do it, because that's what you're going to have to do typically to get there. And that, uh, and find a team that's got a banged up resume, but in a way that isn't completely reflective of their actual potential. And for those reasons, UConn made sense to me. You know, they're, they're uh, one of only two teams now to have beaten Auburn. They um, have six losses, but two of them came when their best player uh, was out. So their, their, their record, it is what it is, but some context makes it look a little better. They do have one quadrant three loss that might scare you. But it's a, a loss to Creighton, which is, 
you know, a projected NCAA tournament team. And mm. well, they are. No, I'm just saying. I'm thinking. I'm just that's setting in when you say that. That's all. I'm just. I'm saying. Oh, wait, oh, like I mean, if we want to touch on that for a second, like Creighton lost everybody yeah, from yeah. last season's team. They they were not supposed to be an NCAA tournament team, but Greg McDermott's done a a, a really nice job, and they got another win last night. My point is this about Creighton: they're 76th in the net. I mean, it's literally one spot away from erasing it from your quadrant three column. Yeah. And by the way, when we talk about this stuff, um, it's not to imply the selection committee is not smart enough to look at that and see, um, yeah, it's a quadrant three, but it's to a team that was 76 as opposed to 75. Like, are, is there really any difference between that and a quadrant two? Um, you know, they 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 peek behind the curtains, uh, so to speak. But uh, this, this UConn team, uh, I'm not picking them to go to the final four. But that wasn't the question. Find somebody outside of the top 15 in the AP poll that you could envision doing it and that UConn team made sense to me yesterday morning and then they back it up by, you know, knocking out a Marquette team that's, you know, obviously been really, really good for about a 10-game stretch. Yeah, uh, this was, I thought, a fairly significant game uh, because UConn's schedule upcoming is still going to be pretty daunting. And uh, to get this win, to avoid a three-game losing streak, to get a sweep of Marquette, also important because UConn's most important wins right now, double OT against Auburn, aging like a fine wine, and two wins over Marquette. And then after that, you're looking at, ooh, at DePaul? (laughs) St. Bonaventure on a neutral? Uh, maybe on a neutral against VCU. That's what UConn has. And now upcoming is at Xavier at St. John's, which made a late push, but Villanova held off. And it uh, looks like Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie should be um, in good shape going forward. They both played. They both started. So um, after that, it'll be home to Seton Hall, home to Xavier, home to Nova. That's UConn's upcoming schedule there. So I thought the win was was pretty important. Adama Sanogo, whew, damn Hurley's got to be just thrilled at the way that he played in that game going for 24 points and there was even great moments from Andre Jackson Tyrese Martin all around I I really UConn's fascinating to me because I I do enjoy the roster I think they've got a lot of really good pieces this is a a group that if you tell me all right UConn's going to be a seven seed I'll say it won't stun me if they make the sweet 16 and upset the two in their region because they actually have enough talent, enough size and the coaching to get there. It's a matter of putting it all together, playing with real motivation. And then just obligatory note, um, those uniforms need to be the permanent uniforms. Like, what are we doing? Like, you saw that you saw them last night, right? The yeah, they're, they were, they're great. They're great. Come on now. Like, I, I simply don't understand how a university doesn't just convene on a random May Tuesday and say, all right, like. Quite obviously, our fan base will like there are certain things that tie us to our history and our past. And this is why certain schools never change their uniforms. Certain teams never change their helmets. Why don't we just permanently go back to the the thin typeface Connecticut, the old school Husky, a little bit of red, um, you know, great piping down the shorts. I like the feel good to me. The little bit of red is what is. Right. It's the thing that sets it apart. I you agree. Know, the, the, the Dodgers have this. The Dodgers have red in their in their uniform. And barely there. Barely there. But it's there. And um, I don't know. It, there's something about that barely there color. 
Yes. That makes a uniform. I, I, I'm not smart I enough to explain it, but I, yeah. I know I enjoy it. It's like the Seahawks have that neon green just a little bit there just to kind of make it pop. So UConn, just go back to these uniforms, you know, please, please, please. But big win there. Marquette, not too much, uh, not too much concern. A um, couple other quickies from, from Tuesday night. And then I actually want to bring up something that's not in our doc that I want to get your opinion on. Uh, Wyoming holds off Utah State in overtime in a really, really good game. I think Utah State was going to need that win in order to, to get into the at-large conversation. Now it's going to really have to peel off a big win streak. Wyoming is cruising toward a really good seat if it can continue. Jeff Linder has done an amazing job. LSU, stop the Wyoming, Wyoming in the top 25 and one. Where do you got them? 22nd, I think. Okay. I've had them in there since Sunday night. They are not in the AP poll, but... Um, and you know why? I, I think because they were just totally off everybody's radar. And then they won a Sunday night game. And that that made me take a closer look at them. And they're like, they're seven and three in the first two quadrants. Yeah. I mean, that's good. Uh, 11 yeah. and one in their past 12 games. I, I honestly don't think most AP voters had them anywhere on their uh, radar when they were turning in their ballot Sunday night or Monday morning. But if you were re-voting today, there's no way to have a top 25 without having Wyoming's resume in it. Hunter Maldonado, Graham E.K. are fantastic players. This is a very fun team to watch. And, uh, yeah, I had them in the power rankings a few weeks ago, and um, they've they've been fantastic. They will be back there again when I refresh that on Thursday. Uh, a nice win for for Wyoming there. LSU stopped the bleeding. Um, won against Texas A&M. It was a road win, so that was important. We mentioned the Indiana thing. They had five players suspended uh, for disciplinary reasons. Uh, the, there were rumors and wonderments about why that was. Um, maybe some uh, some marijuana, but then Jeff Robjohns, who's covered the program diligently for a long time, said that he was under of the understanding that was not actually the case. Uh, no, no matter either way, it's a road loss at Northwestern. Indiana's still in a fine spot from a tournament position, but that's uh, that's that's a hurtful loss. And I just wanted because I mentioned this. What did I mention? I'm a radio interview. I think. Um, because Indiana didn't have five of its players, it doesn't mean that like when the committee evaluates Indiana's resume, it's not going to consider this loss. I think sometimes that stuff gets a little bit overstated by fan bases and maybe even some media members there. Um, yes, it will probably be noted when they're looking at Indiana, but I don't I don't think Indiana losing at Northwestern because it didn't have uh, five players, some of whom were important. Uh, will mean like, okay, well, then we're not going to put them on the nine line and we'll make them an eight instead. I don't think that comes into play, just just in case you're curious on uh, on that stuff. Um, Carolina won at Clemson. Hubert Davis, see what he said after the game? Did, did you touch on that on Inside College Basketball where he was saying, listen, if you're going to get on us about our, about our big bad losses to the big teams, how about some, I'm paraphrasing, but like how about some credit for winning a tough game on the road here? To that, I say it's Clemson. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's a nice win. It is uh, a nice win. They needed to get it. And credit yeah, yeah. for getting it, but um, here's one of my things. There's only two outcomes to a basketball game, dead leg. You either win it or you lose it. And a loss would have been obviously devastating. So you do the opposite of that, win it. It's a good thing. But, like, okay, congrats on your quadrant two win over Clemson. I know. You know, but it, it, a loss there would have really been it would have been damaging. Carolina gets it. Uh, Brady Manick uh, had some moments there. Armando Baycott went for 24 points and 10 rebounds. He had himself uh, a nice night. UCLA won at Stanford, uh, which it needed. Colorado State. David Roddy is just an absolute baller. Um, he, David uh, Roddy is going to be the guy in the NCAA tournament that everybody is pleasuring themselves to on Thursday. Mm, aggressive, but OK, I can see it. Listen, I, I actually it's funny you mentioned that because. 
a week ago, not even a week ago, Friday, my one of my younger brothers texted me and said, can't wait to watch my favorite college basketball player tonight. And I checked the schedule and I thought, who's he talking about here? So I uh, I responded. I said, you talking David Roddy? He said, absolutely. So you're dead on with that. My brother, my brother like yeah. loves hoops, but he's like, yeah. I love David. And David Roddy's game is impossible not to love. F- just an awesome player for a really good team. Yeah, because uh, most people who are going to be watching the NCAA tournament, they never seen David Roddy. They don't know what they, they wouldn't be able to name him right now. Six five two fifty five post player who will muscle you at the rim or like last night, just stepping out and launching threes. Like, yes, he's, like he's like he's a gigantic Wendell Green. <laughs> Dude, he's got he's got a legitimate handle and can cross over guys, too. Oh, sure. Very fun player and was a football recruit coming out of high school. Um, recruited to like some Minnesota, some other places. But Nico Medved told me earlier this season, we basically sold him on. You know, we know that you can play football and that's it, but we're going to, we're all in on your basketball future. And I think Colorado state uh, recruited him harder on that vision than any other. So not that the other schools weren't, but it was just like, it was clearly Colorado state was like, you're going to leave the football behind and here's how we can do it. And that basically, you know, it led to Colorado state to where it is today, where David Roddy's been a focal point of that team for years now. And it's going to uh, have its best season in a long time. Going to try and win its first regular season mountain West championship in school history. Um, I mentioned Kentucky, 86-76 at Carolina. Oscar Shibway had 18-14. and 14. No Devin Downey situation down uh, in Columbia, so Kentucky gets to 20-4, and four, and again, stays a game behind Auburn in the SEC standings. I wanted to bring up one more thing with you, but before I did, do you have anything else on these games? Zero. I'm done. Okay. So as we've been recording this podcast, I got a text from Borzello. He shares with me this tweet that our buddy uh, Rob Doster sent. The Horizon League. Mm-hmm. You see what I, I don't think you probably didn't check on Twitter, but Doster, the Horizon League's official account blocked Rob Doster, our buddy. Um, he said, This is utterly pathetic, but you know what's even more embarrassing? The Horizon League pre blocked all national media and, to try and avoid facing heat for this. Now, I am not blocked by the Horizon League as of us recording this podcast here, but what this ties to is just like the Colonial did with James Madison just like the uh, America East did with Stony Brook. Now the Horizon League has banned UIC from all postseason competition for the remainder of the academic year. That goes for all winter sports, notably basketball for the purposes of this podcast, but also spring sports because UIC is going to go to the Missouri Valley later this year. Obviously, this is complete BS. Um, We have not addressed this topic, I don't think at all. Maybe a little bit with James Madison earlier in the season when they beat Virginia, maybe. But um, first of all, you can't be blocking national media if you're the Horizon League. You you deserve to get dragged even more than the America East was rightfully dragged less than two weeks ago for pulling this BS with Stony Brook. And this idea that if you're a conference and you want to have these kind of protocols in place to prevent schools from leaving your lead to go somewhere else, I got news for you. There is conference realignment essentially almost every single year. I don't think most fans might realize this, but because not every year do we have power conference realignment. But at the lower levels in Division One, usually there's at least one school, multiple, that will be switching leagues. This happens every single year. You're not going to stop this from happening. And I talked to uh, a couple of people that are high-ranking in college athletics in the past week and a half or so, Parrish, uh, two of whom are conference commissioners who spoke on background about this. And they're saying, they told me if it was us and if I'm talking with my presidents, we're not having this. There's nothing that stops a conference from saying, all right, if you're going to do this, then we're going to financially punish you. If your conference tournament games can be played at home, you're not going to get those at home anymore. Um, you're going to be taking all, all the financial benefits of being in our league. 
Those now entirely go to the league. And oh, by the way, if just for as, as an example, like if Stony Brook made the tournament out of the America East, the America East gets that money. It's not Stony Brook that gets the NCAA tournament units. It gets split up in the future among the leagues. So it's not like Stony Brook would be profiting off of this. Now, UIC is not a tournament level team. Stony Brook is actually good enough to be a top three team in the America East. But it's a joke, Parrish. The student athletes, the players, the people that, you know, NCAA types want to uh, – wax poetic about their their general well-being all too often they're the ones that get entirely screwed out of this they're not involved in the decision making uic college players had no say over whether or not they go to the missouri valley or stay in the horizon league and now you've got a bunch of pissed off adults acting like you know petty exes and doing stuff that's you know completely bush league so um this came down officially on wednesday it had been reported earlier in the week uh, by matt brown of extra points and i had gotten word on it as well i'm not surprised by it but the, this should this should be changing going forward. You can do things that can punish an institution that's leaving your conference, but the idea that these seniors perish, I'm talking men's basketball, field hockey, baseball, whatever, don't get to play in the postseason because a bunch of other adults made this decision. It's just, it's it's a joke. And the Horizon League, just like the Colonial, just like the America East, deserve rifle criticism for just thinking that is so outdated. Uh, I'm kind of shocked that it's still around. Horizon League still follows me, by the way, on Twitter. All right, good. Not blocked either. Okay, there we go. They're, they'll they'll have the top twenty-five and one very very soon. Um, as you point out, Illinois Chicago is not going to the NCAA tournament anyway. So, I guess I would, if I were in that office, like trying to help them navigate this situation, I would say just leave it alone. The team you're trying to punish. The school you're trying to punish, they're not going to the NCAA tournament in men's basketball. Nobody cares about any of the other stuff. Let's just leave it alone. Let it go. Because the alternative is to do what they're doing. And they'll get dragged by a few people. Most people won't even know. Like when I talked to my wife this afternoon, she's going to have no idea <laughs> that the Horizon League has not, punished Illinois Chicago. Ellie Paris not locked in on the Horizon League right now. She's not even. She doesn't even know the Horizon League exists. Okay? Same with my wife. Hundred percent the same with my. Oh no, no shot. Not even close. Yeah. So if I were um, the Horizon League, I would have just left it alone because you're you're creating this thing that's eliminating a, the possibility of something that is wildly unlikely to happen anyway. And I know the other sports are part of this, but nobody cares about the other sports. I, I you know, I, I don't mean that literally. I, some people do care about some of the other sports. I guess all of the other sports, like if your kid plays, maybe you care. But the gen- nobody's out there tweeting about some softball teams not going to be allowed to go to whatever. I don't think. If so, I apologize. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is this. I just leave it alone. Because you're just you're causing a stir for no great reason, and I know you and um, Seth Davis have gone back and forth in this in a a group text because I was in the middle of it when I was trying to record radio one morning, one afternoon. <laughs> Seth, was, Seth was on one. I don't know. And I was like, I was like, all right, guys, y'all got to calm down. I know. I'm, try- I- <laughs> I'm trying to. No, I wasn't even trying to respond that much because I knew you were busy. I'm like, we don't like, we can take this offline. And like, it wasn't like that back. But yes, yeah, that's like going all like, in on why it's on the school. And I was just, yeah, it's, like, it's, but it's not just on the school. That's the whole point. Go ahead. I'm trying to talk about, I'm trying to talk about Desmond Bain live on radio right now. You guys, you got to calm down in the group text. Um, and I understand his point that um, there are contracts. And and please, because I, I clocked out of the group text at some point. So correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to misrepresent Seth's point. But 
uh, best I can remember, his point seemed to be there are contracts. You're running a league. You do what's in the best interest of your league. And if somebody wants to leave your league, then um, eliminating them from postseason possibilities to ensure that one of your current and forever members, although that word is uh, not quite accurate, um, uh, they're the only ones that have an opportunity to benefit from postseason opportunities. Is that more or less his his position? Yeah, basically. And he said, yeah, he basically puts it more on, you know, if you're going to get angry, be mad at the institution. They're the one that made the decision to leave. And, you know, every the conferences have the right to, to kind of put up these barriers and these punishments. The leagues are aware of these rules when they're in place. I get that. My point is it's 2022. You, you and, and literally talking to people whose job it is to run conferences have told me which they'd say it officially on the record, but you know how these people can be sometimes. They said there's nothing stopping conferences from saying, if you're going to leave, here are the new ones. We are not going to stop college players from being eligible to compete in the postseason because it's, it is. It's highly unfair to, to a faction of your conference, people playing in these games that have no say on what's happening. So, you know, is it the biggest deal in the world? No, but is it something worth getting pissed over? I kind of think it is because it's easy to say, oh, it's just the America East. It's just the Colonial. It's just the Horizon League. Who really cares? When in fact, it affects literally the lives of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that invest a lot of their lives. And so, yeah, they're playing a Division One college basketball. This is a national college basketball podcast thought it deserved a little bit of chatter here at the end of this episode horizon league should do better and by the way i, I don't know if they're going to be successful but i do know that uic and stony brook they're you know they're lawyering up to do whatever they can to try and get this reversed i don't know if they can i don't know but uh there's going to be a little more saber rattling with all this because it's just i i i hate how this is done in the middle of a season and suddenly you know the uic athletes even though they're not the best team they look up and they're like okay so we're going to be done playing let me look at it real quick for uh, just to be official on this parish uic will not be able eligible to play in the horizon league tournament which means it's not going to play in the ncaa tournament because it's not an at-large team obviously and that means that its season will officially end on February 26th. So in 17 days, they'll play Milwaukee at home. And then, you know, the seniors on that team, they're just done. I, it just, it doesn't sit well with me whatsoever. And the Horizon League deserves all the heat that's coming its way. I guess where I would land on this is I understand Seth's point, which is you're running, the, you know, in this case, the Horizon League. And you run it. Um, and there are contracts that allow you to do this. They're not, they're, no, they're not violating anything that is in the contract that they're allowed to do this. And so they're, they're, they're merely exercising their contractual rights and looking out for the schools and the athletic departments that are going to remain in the horizon league. And if you're running a business and that is what the horizon league is, then what is so wrong about running a business in your best interest um, within your contractual rights? I get that. I totally get it. Um, by the way, um, you know, uh, and, and, and as you point out, it, it punishes student athletes who have nothing to do with this. How different is that than a postseason ban? How different is that than what the NCAA right. just did to Oklahoma State? Yep. All right. Yep. It's kind of the same thing. Falls yep. under the same umbrella. Just as wrong in, in many ways. Yes. Um, or just as okay in many ways. You know, like you know, NCAA says we got to punish somebody. And I know. You're the people there. So, like, uh, I, I guess here's what I would say. I understand. All of that. But where I would land on it, this is one of those where I could argue either side. 
I think fairly well. But I think where I would land on it is it's wrong. Um, these student athletes, you know, if you went to, because now I'll separate this from a postseason ban in Oklahoma State. If you enrolled at Oklahoma State, you knew when you did it that this was a possibility. Hey, you might be going to a place. They got an NCAA cloud hanging over their head. They could get hit with a postseason ban. You might not be able to play in the NCAA tournament. Like when Musa Cisse transferred to Oklahoma State, he and his people knew you might be walking into a situation that gets hit with a postseason ban. They decided to go anyway. They get hit. Um, I agree with you. I don't think the punishment fit the crime, but like you knew what was possible. There's not a player at Illinois Chicago who, when they enrolled at Illinois Chicago, knew that they might have their postseason aspirations ripped away midseason because of an administration's decision to change leaks. And to punish those student athletes for what administrators decided to do in the best interest of their school, I, I think is just fundamentally wrong. Um, and and it, you know, the, the punishment seems to be, on some level, um, a, a possible deterrent. Like, hey, you know, don't if you don't want this to happen to you, then don't start bouncing around leagues. Yeah. But you know as well as I do, that ain't never going to stop anybody. It's not going to stop, and this literally happens every year. Again, right. yeah. this isn't a rare thing. College basketball, specifically, 32 conferences on an almost annual, if not annual basis, at least one school is switching leagues every year, and we're going to have more this year. We'll have more next year, the year after. This isn't slowing that process. Right, not at all. And, and it shouldn't, because if you're running a university, yeah. you should not let a short-term issue uh, deter you from what's in your long-term best interest. So it doesn't work as a deterrent at all. Um, you know, Illinois Chicago should have done what was best for Illinois Chicago, um, regardless of what it might mean to its current student athletes. I think everybody would agree with that. Um, but, or at least I think most people would agree with that. Um, but it does stink that the current student athletes are being um, punished in a way that perhaps isn't meaningful to the men's basketball players because they're probably, even if they were allowed to do everything everybody else is, they probably weren't getting there. But, you know, and I don't follow uh, every uh, team at UIC, but th there is a team. I'm assuming there's a team on that campus that does have real postseason aspirations, and they're not going to be able to, to see those through now. No fault of their own. And I do think that's fundamentally unfair. Again, I can argue both sides but if i had to land on one side or the other i'd land on the side of this is a pretty lousy thing to do because it doesn't actually really accomplish um all these things that you think it's accomplishing it just seems mostly petty agreed can we go let's go shouts to david dowdy shouts to chester south carolina shouts to Jacob Newbert, he's a legend. Shouts to now. Thank you guys once again for listening to Ion College Basketball Podcast, middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Dr. Fauci said we might be coming out of it, though. Did you see that? Did not. He's, optimi he, he, he's optimistic. So that's good news. Oh, boy. It's been wild. i never seen one like this until this one. Eye-opening. If you're not subscribed yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're there, please, five stars. And leave a nice review at Apple Podcasts. There's more of us than there are of them. Don't ever forget that. 
If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, please knock that out. We've been begging you for, feels like forever. So knock that out while you're watching. Smash that like button like you're Brandon Davies. He risked a trip to the Final Four to smash. You ain't risking anything. So just hit the like button. We're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-man. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.